Today I want to talk to you as your pastor a little bit about giving and generosity. Let me start off by asking you a very profound question. The question is this, who is your favorite selfish person? When you think about your favorite people in life, we all have favorite sports stars, musicians, artists, maybe political activist leaders, maybe church leaders, maybe academic leaders, authors, creators, inventors, innovators, entrepreneurs. We all have a list of people that we would say, man, I really admire that person. I really look up to that person. I'm really interested in that person. But how many of us have a list of, this is my top three favorite selfish people? It's like, well, I don't really have a list. Why, why would anyone create such a list? And it highlights the fact that there's nothing really inspirational about being selfish. We don't celebrate selfish as a culture. Like none of the Disney movies we watch, love, and adore, and pass on to our kids finish with the hero being selfish. In fact, one of the greatest themes of any movie genre is action, romance, cartoons, whatever it is, is that the leader has to come to a point in the journey where they realize that true leadership is selflessness. And our culture rallies around what is actually a shadow of Jesus Christ, a laying down of my life, a voluntarily giving up of myself for the other person. Like we, we spend hundreds of billions of euro every year consuming stories and songs and and, and, and inspirational things that, 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 that remind us of that. That's what we want to celebrate as a culture. The problem is we're all naturally selfish. I mean, if, you, if you're a parent, I've had some kids, or you grew up with younger siblings, you'll have observed this. You don't have to teach a toddler to say the word mine. It's like you have to work hard, dada, mama, please. But mine just comes out all by itself, usually followed by no. Mine and no, no training required. Yes, please, mama, daddy, I love you. These are all things we have to somehow teach our kids to say, but, but mine and no, see, they come from deep within. You see, there's something about our natural default mode as human beings that we're just naturally selfish. And again, if I had more time, I could try to give you a theological a perspective for why that is. But the point is, if we're naturally selfish, we can all accept that fact, then we have to work to be intentionally unselfish. It's funny how, like, think about our primary relationships. When we first become friends with someone, or, or we fall in love, or we get married in the first few years, like, it seems like we're, we're so conscious of the other person. We're so aware of their needs. We're trying so hard to build something good and healthy and mutually beneficial that we're, we're actively unselfish. But then as time goes by and we get comfortable with each other and we kind of fall back into our same old routines, all of a sudden we realize, man, what is it about the human nature that we end up constantly falling back into this rut of selfishness? And is it true that so often where it's in work or with friends or on a team or it's in life, so we need help. We need someone externally to remind us of the benefit, to give us tools, to give us best practices, to inspire us and motivate us to be unselfish. Bottom line is, selfishness is not fun. Like, it may bring momentary pleasure for the person that's selfish, but it always comes at the expense of everything that's near and dear to our lives. The English dictionary def defines the word selfish as being, being devoted to are only caring for oneself. Now, here's the thing. We all know, don't we, what it's like to be around someone like this. 
Uh, these people frustrate us. These people irritate us. These people annoy us. These people treat us like garbage. And if you don't know anyone like this person, you're probably this person. Just saying. That's for free. If they came to church today. Okay? The truth is, even though we know people like this, the truth is we all have the capacity, don't we, in the right context, in the right way, to be this person. It's why sometimes, you know, you might see someone and, and in certain circles are known for being, oh, he's so kind, she's so generous, they're so patient. And you're like, are we even talking with the same person? Because in, in my context, they're, a, they're just a different animal. Why? Because when they're actively trying to be uh, intentionally unselfish, we see the true heart of the person. But when they allow default mode to kick in, it's like, are, are we, we've got a case of Jekyll and Hyde going on here. Now, the English dictionary also defines generous as being a liberal, being liberal in giving or sharing, being unselfish. Isn't this what we want in our marriages? And this, this is what we want in our workplace culture? Isn't this what we want in traffic? Hello? Like, one of the things I love seeing is people coming from other cultures and they do not understand that in Ireland, we let people go. We let them go. If you don't want to be let go, go back to where you came from. In Ireland, we let people go. It's a cultural institution. And don't let me go, I'm letting you go. It confuses everybody. If I let you go, just go. Smile, wave, thank you, goodbye. But we let people go. And the day that Ireland no longer lets people go is the day I start a cultural revolution. It's like, please, that's the one last bit of kindness that in traffic, we let people go. It's life works better because we all get our turn to get out onto the yellow box and go wherever we're going. There's nothing worse than being there and thinking, oh, sure, your man's going to let me go. And you pull up, and he doesn't let you go. And of course, you're giving the eye like, and he just ignores you. Like, I'm not even looking at you. It's like, what's your problem, man? Come on. Anyway, so, middle rant is over. Point is, life is much more fun when we're being like this. This is what we, it's funny because Oftentimes, human beings, I don't know if you ever realize this, we judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. We hold other people accountable to what they say and do, but we're so quick at letting ourselves off the hook because we go, I didn't mean that. I was going to let him go. It wasn't in my heart. But, but maybe if we invert it and said, what? Maybe if we ask the question, what was the person's intention? What are they going through? What must be cons- they must be having such a bad day and they didn't even see me trying to let me let go. So do you know what? Bless them. The point is, oftentimes we, we, we boast in our, in our own generosity and we hold people accountable when, when they're not generous enough. And I think part of changing the world is rather than judging people for what they're not, is trying to be the thing that we wish we would have in reciprocation. Now, Selfish, generous. Let's look at the definition of giving. Giving, then, a little bit different, is to present voluntarily and without expecting compensation. It's literally what we, the word gift. It's to give someone something that's voluntary. It's not oppressive. It's not coercive. It's not uh, manipulative. It's something I want to give. And I'm giving it without expecting anything in return. So with that foundation, the question I'm asked today is, what is giving? And I, and I know, okay, what is giving? Duh. Giving is giving stuff. But I mean, fundamentally, what has God's, God's word got to say to us today about giving, about generosity, about not just money, but also culture, also thinking, also attitude? What, what, what does God's word 
And if, again, if you're here, you're not a Jesus follower, I think this is real, real and true application for you. Because I've never heard of a marriage fall apart because one or both parties are too generous. I've never heard of someone being fired by their boss because the employee worked too hard with generous. I've never heard of anyone in the world speak negatively about someone because they were too generous. In, in nearly every case, it's the exact opposite. So even if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower and you don't know God or follow God, there's still benefit in this. Why? Because our world collectively is better when we are all more generous. And the Apostle Paul knew this. That's why he wrote in the second book, of Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6 to 14, he wrote about the power of a generous spirit. Now, to give you some context, the Apostle Paul wrote many letters in the New Testament. He wrote 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. We know it's the 3 Corinthians, even though it's not in the Bible. Uh, he references it in 2 Corinthians. And really in these books, which are essentially first century letters, he's writing to a local church like ours. In this particular church was in a city called Corinth. Uh, last year I got to go and visit the city. It was quite amazing. And, uh, and just like us today, people had real lives and had real problems, real issues, and there was real tension in the church when it came to the battle of selfishness versus unselfishness and the role of giving in all of that. So the Apostle Paul starts in verse 6 with a, with, a, with, a, with a metaphor. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, again, in our day and age, this may seem a little bit like, well, what, what's he on about? Uh, essentially, he's using an agrarian uh, simile because, you know, a lot of people in that day and age were familiar with farming. Even though he was in a city in, in his time, people still have, would have grown up around or grown up in an agricultural context. So when it comes to the analogy of sowing seed, it's like people understood, photo please, people understood what that, what that metaphor meant. It's like if, if I want to have a harvest, and I sow the bare minimum, I'm at risk for weather and birds and all the different mitigating factors of harvesting not only less, but maybe even nothing according to how sowed. But if I sow generously, if I sow a lot, if I sow all over the place, and if I sow in a way that is wise, and if I sow in a way, and not just sowing, but also tending to the field, then the chances, the likelihood of, of the effect of that generosity will bring a greater return. Now understand, a lot of times this verse is quoted specifically about money, but understand that whenever we see sowing and reaping in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, sowing does not equal only money. I mean, you could be, we could be generous in how we talk to each other. I mean, again, let's, let's just attack some countercultural issues here. Saying hello to people is a good thing. Just good old-fashioned, hi, hello, good morning. That's nice. When you're going to buy your coffee, how are you? When you're going to the newsagent's, What's the crack? Like standing at the door and allowing the person behind you to go ahead of you. These are all good. These are, these are all acts of kindness. And when a culture loses kindness, it isn't long before it loses compassion altogether. If, if, if compassion is a mountain, the tip of that is kindness. We have to protect and be intentional, being kind in our world. Why? Because if we don't, the whole thing goes down the drain. So we can be kind to each other in particular. We can also be kind with people in terms of giving people benefit of the doubt. So one of the things that we're big on in our culture, especially our staff culture, is whenever there's a gap in someone's character, like we're supposed to be here at, say, 10 o'clock for service, and someone's late, when, there, when there's a question mark as to why is John late, we have to proactively, because it is a bit of work, uh, put into that gap 
all the possible potential reasons for why John is late. Maybe he ran over a cat. Maybe he got hit by a cat. Maybe a cat was driving the car, ran him over. Like we insert all these generous explanations so that when John arrives, our sentiment towards him isn't judgment, but man, I'm glad to see you. What happened? Now, if John was just up all night playing his Xbox and didn't get up on time, and that happens week after week after week, then love requires confrontation, discipline. There's a time and place for that thing too. But in general, in, in life, it's better for our relations if rather than jumping to what we think is a, is an, as a certain conclusion, I know John was. And therefore, when John comes in, we're already meeting him with animosity. We choose to sow into that gap generously. And let me tell you something. If you bring that kind of spirit into your workplace, rather than jumping on the, I won't use the word, but the word that we use to describe, we're talking negatively about someone behind their back. It rhymes with itching. Um, when, we, when, we're, when we're itching about people behind their back, it's like, it's like when we come with generosity and grace, it's like, whoa, like just, just the other day I was, I was playing rugby and uh, this guy who I know had an injury and he had to wrap his ankle. And so what that meant was he was moving a certain way that wasn't great. He ended up standing on a lot of people's toes, literally, not just metaphorically. And afterwards, people in the restaurant went, oh, this guy. I'm like, well, did you guys know he actually had to have a surgery? And they're like, oh, wow, we never knew that. I said, just saying, insert generosity. So sewing isn't only about money. It's attitude, it's benefit of doubt, it's, it's being kind. But it includes money. You know, we can't say it's only kind acts. It's also money. The goal, the point that Paul is getting to is the goal of this is that we get whatever it is that we're giving, whether it be money or kind words or benefit of the doubt or opening a door, let's do it generously. He continues in verse 7. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Now, again, in context, what's happening in this particular letter is the Corinthian church heard about another church that was struggling, uh, a church in Judea. And so what they said was, we want, we want to give a love offering, above and beyond offering, to bless those people and to make a difference. And so Paul says, okay, I'll come back around in a few months and I will collect the offering, I'll bring it with me when I go to that region. So he's writing in to say, hey, as you think about your participation in this offering, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, are under compulsion. Now listen carefully. Again, if you're not a Jesus follower, if you're someone that uh, is kind of skeptical of the Christian faith, here before you in the Bible, you have in, not black and white, but yellow and white, yellow and black, I should say, yellow, white and black. Uh, you have right there that, that what God is, God's not calling for some weird religious observance to generosity that we have to give. We don't give, you'll be damned and, and we'll all laugh at you and so on. He's saying, hey, true Christian giving should not be done reluctantly. Because if it's, if it's done reluctantly, it's not a gift. It's a payment. Nor should it be done under compulsion. Because if it's under compulsion, under coercion, it's not given in the right spirit. Paul says the kind of giving God wants, watch this is mind blown. God loves a cheerful giver. Now think about this. Cheerful and giving. These should be mutually opposing terms. How can I give my money away cheerfully? Like, like, how is that even possible? And to go even deeper, the word, the word in Greek, because the New Testament was in Greek, the Greek word for cheerful literally means hilarious. It's the word hilario, which of course in English is where we get the word fun. Paul is saying, God loves people who find it hilarious 
to give. They actually find it fun to give. And you're going, how is this? How can someone, hang on, hang on. So you're saying that there, it's possible for someone to give away their money and to enjoy that? Like normally how I was raised in Ireland was we'd watch some sad videos and starving people in some part of the world and we would be compelled to give. My mother would say, all oh, the children starving in the world, you should, like we were always motivated through, through a, a, a feeling of like conviction of like, of guilt, that man, oh yeah, like I mean, I, I feel so guilty, I'll give. That, that's how I was taught to give. But you're telling me that that's not, that's not the ideal, that really the ideal is that something in us should well up within us for us to understand that actually the heart that God loves, the heart that God blesses, the heart that God desires is a heart that loves to give? Who does that? And of course the answer is, God does that. God did that when he gave his son Christ Jesus to the world. John 3.16, for God so loved that he gave. He so loved and he gave. Love is always demonstrated, not just in words, but action. And God's love was made manifest in the giving of the most precious thing that he had, his son. And he gave his son to the world cheerfully. And we're called, especially for Christians, if you're a Jesus follower, as I always say, we're called to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus means that when we give, we give in a way that is fun. I learned this lesson a few weeks ago because um, one of the things, one of the positive things Technology. Oh, you heard me say that, sorry. Um, so one of the positive things about technology is, is it's, helping, it's helping us as parents parent better. You know, all sorts of cool technologies. One of the things that I'm particularly enjoying is Revolut. Have you ever heard of Revolut? Um, of course, I have a Revolut card and I have a Revolut app, and that's great. But one of the things I get to do now is I get to give my kids Revolut card, and I can just transfer their money onto their card through the app. Some of you just came to church with that very, this, this is the message for you today. It's going to save your life. And so I work with them on, because I'm old school, so chores, you know, you, you don't get paid for breathing. Hello? What's wrong with our world? I suck oxygen, pay me. Are you kidding me? I feed you. You have a bed, that's enough. You want money, you work for money. Anyway, so they have chores, and by doing chores, they earn money, and if they go above and beyond, I expect it. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great thing being a parent. You know, it's like, okay, I want you to um, do the dishes. This is just take dirty dishes and rinse them, because you always rinse them before you put them in the dishwasher. Hello? It took me 10 years to learn that the hard way. All the whippings and beatings, I eventually got it. And, uh, but when they go, you know what? I'm, not only go, I'm, go, I'm going to go above and beyond. and I'm going to actually look around the kitchen. Not just what's in the sink, but are there other pieces of delf and cutlery around the living room? It's like, man, I want to reward that. I'm going to, I'm going to reinforce the life out of that, that behavior because I want my kids to go beyond. Anyway, so the point is, um, they have this card, and so I help them. Get, I pay them. Then, of course, teach them how, what it is to be a Christian, to tithe, to honor God first. It's a whole different sermon, a whole different series. But also be generous. Tithe is what we, for, for those who are Christians, a tithe is not something we give. A tithe is something we return. It's the only part of all that God asks us that he asks for back as a sign of trust in our relationship. So I teach them to tithe. But then I say, okay, but you also want to hold some back to be generous. Because there might be opportunities where, even as a young child, where you can do something for someone else that will bless them and make a difference. Well, one of my kids has really got hold of this, this revelation to a point where they keep giving away all their money. And I'm like, as a father, going, that's great, son. But you know, one day you're going to be married and have kids. And like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe just keep a little bit, like just a little bit. 
Where's that? He's like, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. I'm like, oh my gosh. And of course, I'm confronting me is the reality of what I've seen that, that I want a child who understands the heart of God. He's not afraid to give because he understands that God will provide, through his working father, of course, for now, uh, everything that he needs. And it just showed me that is the heart of God, that we would enjoy giving. Like recently we had a, I came to a staff meeting one Monday and all of our staff were frantically on computers. I'm thinking, wow, what a great staff we have. They must be really working hard in preparation for today's meeting. Uh, eh, eh, no, they're all trying to buy Coldplay tickets. You know what I'm saying? So they're frantically saying, what time? What do, 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 and they're all doing this, hook you in. And they're all doing this thing. And I'm like, man, what could it look like if one day that was how we approach giving? Like, how much are you going to give? How much are you going to give? Oh, what are you going to do? Like, oh, wow, we're so excited. We find it hilarious. It's so much fun to give. Now, of course, like I referenced in my son's story, it's very hard to give when you don't have confidence in the source. If you, if you, if you view your, your resources as, as uh, limited assets that will eventually run out and, and so on, it's very, hard to be, it's very hard to be generous in a hilarious way when you're always afraid of not having enough. Well, of course, this is the same issue in the Corinthian church. So in verse 8, the Apostle Paul says this, And God is able... God is able, not only is he able, he's willing. God is able and willing to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As is written, they have freely scattered gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. God is able. See, when, you, when you're in relationship with the Father, when you know that my Father, like my kids don't have to worry about pocket money. It will be there, their, 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 their chore money, because I'm here. And as long as I'm here, it'll be there. They can trust in my ability, and because I love them and seek to be as best as possible a generous father, they can trust not only my ability, but also my willingness to bless them. Therefore, they're empowered to be generous in a way that maybe we've never thought before, because there's confidence in the supply. What Paul is saying is when you, have, when you have a relationship with the Father, your Father is able. He is able to bless you abundantly. He is able to bless you in all things. He is able to bless you at all times. And He's able to bless you that you will have all that you need to abound in every good work. The basis for our generosity is that we have confidence in our source. God is able. Now what's interesting is, there's abundantly and sufficiently. Abundantly and sufficiently. He says, you know, we'll have everything we need. We, we, we'll, we'll be sufficient. And I mean, so when he says sufficient, sufficiently, what he's saying is God gives us enough to take care of ourselves. Sufficiently blessed means I have everything I need. Every, like it may happen in a miraculous way. It may test your trust. It may bring you to the point of like, I have to be dependent on God in prayer. But ultimately, God, like we sang, God has never let us down. He blessed us sufficiently, having all we need. But he also blesses us abundantly. Where sufficiently speaks to having all that we need, abundantly speaks to having more than we need. Not only does God give us what we need for ourselves, God intentionally gives us more than we need. The question that we got to ask ourselves is, listen carefully, who is my more for? 
Who is my more for? If I take my more and make it about me, if I turn that abundant blessing into selfishness, well, it's like I'm cutting off the supply. It's like I'm eating my seed. But if I can get a revelation that God's given me everything I need sufficiently, but also he's given me abundantly, so I can start looking around and asking the question, who is my more for? By sowing generous seeds into our church, into the community, into people's lives, we will see a harvest. You see, God gives us wealth. I know that we don't think of ourselves as wealthy people, but technically speaking, uh, if you live in Ireland, even the poorest person living in Ireland is still wealthier than any poor person living in any part of the world. We are so fortunate to live in this country. Even though we complain about things and waiting times in A&Es, the fact is we have so much wealth, so much infrastructure, so much blessing, it's amazing. We're so fortunate. And even the poorest amongst us is wealthy by the world standards. But your wealth has a purpose. Your wealth was given for God's work. See, think about this. If your life, again, let me speak specifically to Jesus followers, because if you're not a Jesus follower, you won't agree with this, but just you can, you can eavesdrop in our conversation, okay? So if you're a Jesus follower, your life was given to you by God and for God's glory. You have an extraordinary purpose. Therefore, everything you do is connected to God's plan for your life. Your family, the place you live, the place you work. There's incredible freedom in being Jesus follower, knowing that every part of my life has a purpose. I'm not lost, not confused, I'm not... Um, uh, what's the word, uh, you know, off track. I, I'm doing what God wants to do. There's incredible peace in knowing whose I am, who I am, and where I should be. So every part of life has purpose. And so when God blesses you, he, he takes joy like any good father does in giving you sufficiently all you need to take care of your needs. But he also, like I do in my case, he wants to bless you abundantly. He wants to, see, nothing brings his heart more joy than seeing us as his people emulate his heart to the world that we're sowing, that we're generous, that we're, gi we're giving people. So the purpose of our wealth is his work. God gives everything we need to take care of ourselves, but he gives us more than we need so we can be a blessing. Paul goes on in verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. So what do you do with seed? You sow it. What do you do with bread? You eat it. You don't sow bread, people. I don't know what kind of country you're from but like in Ireland we don't sow bread here okay you eat bread and thank God for bread we love our bread here and potatoes you sow potatoes you eat bread the point is what happens when you sow bread and eat seed you're hungry and you have no harvest and you have nothing to share with those around you God's saying hey be content with the bread and sow the seed because when you do there'll always be a harvest and when you do so God will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, the purpose of our being enriched is not to be rich. The purpose of our being enriched is to be generous. And the more that we're generous, the more that we have the heart of God, the more that we're in the will of God, and Paul says something very important, the more people around us will see our generosity and go, wow, you know what? I don't really believe in God or know God or haven't embraced God for myself, but the way you guys conduct your lives, the way you're so generous makes me wonder, maybe there's something more to this Christianity story that I'm prepared or willing to admit. Paul says in verse 13, because of this service, 
by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. So he's connecting now that if we say, if we profess, I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a Christian, then that should be evident in our generosity. Accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Our generosity has a purpose beyond just giving and sowing and helping people. Our generosity also is a way that we can be a witness, an example to the world. One of, my, one of my dreams for our church is that whenever people talk about Lighthouse Church, like almost synonymous with our name would be the spirit of like, those people, man, I don't, I don't really agree with everything they're doing or I don't really get everything they're doing, but they're so generous. They're so kind. They're so, like, what, what, if, what if our goal in life, rather than being famous and rich and all these selfish things, what if our goal is I want to be the most generous person in the world? I don't know, I can't guarantee, but I would like to think that the person who is genuous, who is genuine in their ambition to be generous, is the kind of person that God would give a lot of resource to. Because God tends to give to those that he can give through. He gives to those he can give through. When we become a blockage, like, God, why, why can't you give me more? God's like, what have you done with the seed I've already given you? And again, this is not just true in our day. This has been true all throughout church history, even though the church has not always done, done a good job in every uh, way. There's been incredible moments where the, where the genuine generosity of the church has impacted culture. One such story involves uh, a Caesar, Caesar Hadrian. You know him because he is Hadrian of Hadrian's Wall, a famous wall that was built in England to uh, basically stop the Scots from coming down and invading the Roman Empire. Uh, in the second century, uh, Hadrian was leading Rome, and there's this incredible letter written by a guy called Aristotes uh, to Caesar Hadrian about Christians. So like, he was suspicious, like, what's going on? Who are these Christians? What are they doing? Like, we're persecuting them. We're feeding them to lions. We're killing them in the Colosseum. We're, we're outlawing their services. We're confiscating their homes. We're taking away their children. We're literally trying to destroy these people, but they're so kind, and they're so generous, and they're growing. What's going on? And so Aristotles writes back. He says, and to Caesar, he says, they love one another. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, even though it's stranger danger, could be a communist spy coming to tell Caesar who you are and kill your whole family, they take them into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. I mean, just right there, isn't that what our culture needs? Where our culture is so divided so politically divided, racially divided, so segregated. What, what can the church do? The church can welcome people into their home as a very brother. And if you're here now, Jesus follower, your first time, that's how we, you may not feel that about us, but we feel that about you. And it gets better. And if there is among them any that are poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, watch this, they will fast two or three days. Let me tell you something. I mean, that's Christian right there because that's hard. You know what I'm saying? You got me in fasting. Welcome to brother, no problem. Fasting so I can eat my burger? Jesus, help us. You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine going to McDonald's after church with some burst off from church? Like, yeah, like you have no money. I have no money. So here, have my burger and I'll just fast for you. Like that is the power of Christ in action right there. I'm telling you, real miracles. Uh, but they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of of food. Such, O king, or O Caesar, Caesar, is their manner of life. 
It's not an event. It's not a project. It's not like a, a parcel run for Christmas. This is how these Christians, this is their way of life. And verily, this is a new people, and there is something divine in the midst of them. This, this non-Christian, stoic Roman is, is perplexed but in fact, these Christians who are being destroyed at every level, every way, are still well, their natural way of life is to be generous. See, our generosity is part of our worship to God. We can say we love God, and we can sing songs about God, but the best, the most powerful way to worship God is to be like Him. And when we are like Him in our generosity, that honors and worships Him. But it's also a witness to men. Our generosity is not only worship to God, but it's a way because it's not fake. You can't, you can't fake sacrifice. When, you're, when, when it's your way of life to be generous, to be kind, to be always intentionally as best as possible because we don't always get it right, to be unselfish, it speaks to something meaningful happening within our hearts. It's funny because it isn't in Corinthians only. It's right to the New Testament. We see it over and over and over again. In Acts 20, verse 35, in everything I did, Paul says, I showed you by, by that... Uh, that by this kind of hard work, you must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 8, he said, freely you have received. Freely you give. You see, there's something powerful that happens in the life of a Jesus father. That can't happen if you're not a Jesus father. This is one of the benefits of having a relation, a real, authentic, living, and vibrant relationship with God. When you know God is your father and you are confident in his ability and you are certain of his willingness, he is willing and able, all of a sudden you don't need the things you need like you needed them when you didn't have God. Because no matter what you're going through, there's always a third option. You ever, you ever notice when you're stressed about something, it's like option A, option B, what should I do? Oh man, maybe I can do this or that. But when you have God, there's option C. There's a Christ option. There's a Jesus option. There's, a, there's an insane, like, supernatural trust option that really, if you're here, you're not a Jesus follower. In this room, everyone who's a Jesus follower are people who can verify with their own example that God has never failed us. Like, 20 years I'm following Jesus, and I've done some pretty crazy things, and come right to the brink so many times, and every single time that my confidence has rested in God, He has been faithful. And every person like me who's just for everywhere in the world has the same testimony. Why? Because when we have confidence in our Father, we can be generous with our resources. And, like I keep saying, there's something really freeing about being able to be generous. Why? Because you know, even though there's no money in the bank account, there is money coming into the bank account because my Father's account is limitless. Like my kids may run Revolut thing dry, but then I get a text message saying, so-and-so is requesting 20 euro. I'm like, this little flipping child that I love so dearly and cherish, you know? And what's funny is, I'd like to stand up here and be a tough guy and say, oh, but actually, oftentimes, my, my heart response is, ah, yeah, I should look. I love to bless my children. I love their confidence in my ability to take care of them. But I'm just a limited man with limited resource. We all, in Jesus, have the opportunity to have a relationship with the Father of Heaven who is unlimited in His love towards you and unlimited in his ability to bless and supply, not just sufficiently, but also abundantly. Giving is not just something we do as Lighthouse Church. Giving is who we are. It's our manner and way of life. And I think the revelation, here's my, my point, and I'm going to share a story in close. 
I think the whole point that God wants to get us to is to see that, that giving isn't like an additional extra. It isn't something we attach on to our Christianity. It isn't like a widget or a utensil or an app. Giving is not about charity. Giving is Christianity. By definition, God so loved, therefore he gave. The very nature of God's people should be in every context that we are the most generous people. What could it look like if in your marriage, all of a sudden you were intentionally unselfish? So when you're confronted with, oh, you should have, you didn't, rather than falling into that, into that trap of self-defense and tit for tat, you go, you know what? You're amazing. You're an amazing person. You're an amazing mother. You're an amazing wife. You're an amazing human being. The things that you do, your personality, you just start talking about how amazing, watch how quickly the argument ends as you start generously speaking things that are true over that person. What would happen if in work, rather than always talking down your boss, talking down your coworkers, that you, you speak generously and honoring in an honoring way about them over them and especially behind their back, that you, you seek to always call out the good, even though it may only be a little bit of good, you still seek to call the good in their eyes. What happens if in culture, in the world, if all of a sudden all was left Blanche Town Center today and rather than all racing to the roundabout, we all said, no, you go first. No, you go first. What if we opened doors? What if we smiled? What if we, what if we said hello to people? What, what could happen in our little microcosm of the world? if we start sowing seeds of generosity. And for our church, because we're, we're, always, we're always running this thing right on the edge financially. We don't have a lot of resources. What happens if, if everyone just decides that I'm going to contribute meaningfully and consistently to the mission of the church? What could we do? We're already doing so much. How much more could we do if we had more resource? Like I said last week, quote Einstein, you don't have to be a genius, but you do have to be generous. Let me tell you a story as we close. Uh, this guy's name is Alfred Nobel. You've probably heard of him. He, of course, is the founder of the Nobel Prize, right? What you didn't know about Alfred Nobel is that he is not famous because of the Nobel Prize. He is famous because he actually invented dynamite. That's for free, y'all. And, uh, and what happened was, I don't know, I think it was like 1887 or thereabouts, um, his brother Ludwig died, and uh, a French paper mistaking his brother for him, wrote an obituary for Alfred. And basically said that the demon of death, that the, the creator of disaster, the one who profits off of death and doom, is finding it. And basically the paper was celebrating his meaningless life and his contribution to the destruction of human life. Well, not many of us have the opportunity to read our own obituary, right? So Alfred Nobel was shocked and horrified that this is how he would be remembered. His legacy would be one of death, destruction, and greed. He decided, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to settle for that. I want, I want to leave a better legacy. And so he decided to basically give up his entire estate, time worth $250 million, to found a system of prizes that would recognize the generous work of humanity. And thus founded the Nobel Prize. He decided that he had a rare opportunity to, to rewrite his own legacy to leave a better story. And now... You know, people are celebrated all over the world for literary and arts and science, all sorts of things. We don't have the opportunity to read our own obituary, but we do have the opportunity today to rewrite a better story. How you live now is how people will talk about you later. Are you a generous person? Would your spouse describe you as being generous? Would your kids, if you have any, describe you as being generous? If you're a single person, would your co-workers or your 
friends describe you as being generous? When the bill comes around and everyone goes, are we going Dutch or why are we doing this? Are you the first to go, yep, yeah, go Dutch, everyone take care of yourselves? Or are you the person that goes, no, I'll pay? Just the other day I was in a restaurant with friends and I wanted to buy some people some stuff that I saw there. So I paid for me and my friend. I paid for another friend and I paid for another friend. And that was cool because it was, it was a pleasure to do so. And when I went to, get to give my card to the person to pay, someone else paid for all those people. I'm like, man, it sucks. I mean, that's my blessing, you know what I'm saying? So I went over to this other friend and said, let me pay for yours and yours too. And I paid for them. And, and what was amazing though, is I watched this thing happen in motion. Everyone started paying for each other's stuff. It was bizarre. It wasn't, it was just, I wasn't even thinking. I was just being me. Trying to be a generous person. But it set in motion a little mini revolution in that place where everyone started paying for everyone else's stuff. Like, wow, what could that, that look like if it happened all over the city? What could that look like if it happened all over the nation? You said, wow, what's, why are those people so kind and so generous? Because they follow Jesus. It was Kathy Calvin, the UN representative, who said, giving is not about making a donation. Giving is about making so I believe the Holy Spirit is calling us to give it up. He's inviting us to experience the joy of hilarious giving. He's allowing us and affording us an opportunity that Alfred Nobel had to rewrite our story, to change course, to take control of our legacy and say, you know, I don't want to be this mean-spirited, fearful, anxious, selfish person. I want to be generous. I want to be encouraging. I want to be someone that people talk about like, wow, they were so inspiring. In the little they had, they were so willing to give so much. All of us can be that person today. I believe that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. And if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, the first step for you is you cannot give what you have not received yourself. Why not open your heart and say, God, come into my life. I want to know the love and the security and the confidence of having a father like you. I want to be able to live my life knowing there's always support behind me because you go with me wherever I go and that you are my source. And for those who already are Jesus followers, hey, let's not, believe, let's not fall into the trap of believing the lie of the enemy that our store of seed will run out. God is faithful. Because even if the storehouse is empty, the seed in the ground will bring a harvest. What did it say back? It said, God will not only give us seed, but he will enlarge and supply the seed in our storehouse. God is, God is so able to do so much more when we honor him in generosity.